If you would open your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, we're gonna, I'm going to broadcast it because I know Nehemiah is not one you get to very often. Just go to the book of Psalms and turn right. But I wanted to read to you this passage. The people of Israel had been in bondage for 70 years in Babylon. And a lot of them had become quite comfortable because they had been called into the big city. And in Jeremiah 29... God told the people of Israel, hey, you know what? Don't go hide into the, literally go into the middle of the city. Marry your sons and daughters and be in this city and affect this city. And so now 70 years later, Babylon was not the kingdom of God and he was telling them, go back and build. And that's where we are in verse 17 of chapter 2. Nehemiah hadn't told anybody yet. So in verse 17, I said to them, Talking about the people of Israel. You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let's rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Gershom the Arab Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And Nehemiah said, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. There are four things that I wanted to bring out of this passage that are, that are speaking to me this morning, and I want to give a spoiler alert ahead of time. This is not code for we're about to do a capital campaign for a building, a physical building. So if you can loosen your butt cheeks, it's okay. We're like, okay, whew. He's not going to lock the doors and take an offering. And I'm not saying we don't ever build, right? I'm not saying we build buildings all the time around the world, but that's not what this is here. This is not about that. But what I see in this passage is, What's built first when you're building the kingdom of God? What is built first? Number two, who is it that opposes the building? Who's the opposition? Three, where it's built. And four, what it's built with. Those are the four things that we're going to fly over this morning and then dive way into, into the coming weeks as we talk about rising up and building the church, building the kingdom of God. Jesus, would you give us insight this morning. Lord, I just, I pray that your words would come through for all of us. We literally cannot do this without you. We are desperate for you, desperate for your spirit, desperate that you would indwell us and fill us and empower us. And those aren't just words, it's just true. And so this morning as we go to your word, I just, I pray that your word would become life, that it would be the light to our path. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I got this email that I wanted to share with you. It was actually to Mo, Darren, and Jeremy. Hi, my name is Arlene, and I work on the marketing communications team at Facebook. 
I've been looking into Facebook groups that use our platform to come together as a community and came across Conduit Church. And I'm getting in touch because we would like to hop on the phone and chat with you about Conduit Church Group on Facebook. You can email me back at my email address below or via messenger, and we'll then work to schedule a time convenient to you. Thank you for your time, Arlene. Hi, Arlene. (laughs) Of course, the first I'm thinking, is she about to give me money from a Nigerian prince? Because that's what I thought. Because I know that one, Arlene. You can't do that one to me. We know that now. But it it took me a little bit because I started asking myself the question, what on earth is Facebook doing looking at a little nickel and dime operation in Nashville, Tennessee, in in a group of two billion members? How did they find us this little church? No, if if, if I'm being really honest at first, I thought, well, of course they did because we're doing like all this awesome stuff. There's a very shallow part of my heart that takes up more space than I would admit. That was what I thought at first and forwarded it to Mo. And we kind of had these conversations and, and asking myself the question, why is it that Facebook is so interested in a church? Facebook who does nothing by accident, Facebook who studies the data, they go deep in the algorithms and finding out what's happening. Why would they be concerned about a church? And the real question is, why wouldn't we be? It took me a little bit before I figured out why they were diving in and trying to learn about a church. This is about 60 days later when Zuckerberg makes the statement that, hey, I'm going to replace the church. He's been traveling around the country for the last year, visiting groups and whatever, and so here comes Zuckerberg saying, you know what, the American he didn't say American. He says, the church is in decline. And by the way, I don't, when he says that, I don't know what church he's talking about. Because this past week, in, this is in the UK this last week. 5,000 college-age kids coming together to seek the Lord and the Holy Spirit in the middle of nowhere. Or is he talking about the Nigerian church? This is my friend Ron. Two million people gathered last week in Nigeria to seek the Spirit. No rock bands, no nothing. Or or was he talking about these 700 pastors who are gathered in Brazil this week? What church is he talking about? Because he's not talking about the church of Jesus Christ. When you hear that the church is dying, understand, was it Mark Twain that said, rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated? (laughs) They dance over an empty grave if they're dancing over the grave of the universal church and the world, the kingdom of God. So Zuckerberg says he's going to replace that. And here's what he's, to to, to be fair to him, what he's really saying is this. He says that in our country, that there are those who used to get their belonging and their purpose from the church, and he thinks now he can give it to them through Facebook, through Facebook groups. He goes on to say, and there's a quote, and I'll, I'll post it later, I can't remember the exact quote, that he feels like that now because of the church we can unite them Unite everybody around Facebook. Now, I don't know if you've been on Facebook in the last 24 hours, but let me tell you what it does not do. Unite anyone. I'm like, have you been on your site? You know what's going on here? Nobody's uniting around anything there. Silos of separation are what's happening on Facebook. And so I don't think that he is uh, correct that that's what's going to happen. Because if there's one thing that we know... 
is that the church of Jesus Christ is not united. We have lots of differences, but we can unite around Jesus. This past week, I was thinking, okay, so Zuckerberg's wondering what's going on with the church. Maybe he's, the reason he doesn't, under, he just doesn't understand what church is. Maybe that's why he thinks he can replace it with a, with a software. And then I thought, well, I wonder if the reason he doesn't know what church is for, I wonder if it's because we don't know what church is for. So about a month ago, I non-ironically posted on Facebook um, a question, which is, hey, if you're looking for a church, you know, I was just genuinely curious, what is it? And some of you this morning, you're like, I've been looking for a church. I've been looking. I don't. And so what is it that you, like, what are the big ticket items for you? And I, I was just curious. And the, <laughs> the bad news is this is the response I got. It was, um, it was like 170 responses. Parenthetically, none of them, well, there are a couple crazy ones. There's one that was, and this, and by the way, if this is you, I, I most, I'm apologizing right now. But you know the King James only crowd, you know, like the one that has to be KJV, 16, whatever, you know. Somebody said, and New King James. So it was a younger guy. Maybe his grandpa was in the KJ only, but he's like, I'm, I'm not crazy, so it's got to be New King James for me. But, but even that, it's still the Bible. Like, it's like crazy, crazy. There are things like we want it to be part of a family. We, wanna, we don't want to be made to feel judgmental because our kids are traveling and doing sports, and, and, and which is church can be there. We, we learned that with Kyle. Church can happen on a NASCAR. You know, you know, Kim and Dean, when you're taking your kids out, you're hanging out with other people. You have this chance to be on mission on a ball field. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing to ask for from a church, to not be shamed for that. But the problem is, is 170 of these later, it, it, you could feel, if you're me, you could feel like I'm just someone sitting there shooting at my feet. You know, I'm trying to just make you happy. <laughs> Do what, parenthetically, here's what was not on the list of 170 responses. A church that gives a crap ton of money away to missions. A church that gives, you know, the vast majority of their resources and time and energy. So I was like, well, that's kind of embarrassing because that's kind of what we lead with. So, you know, but it was a lesson for me that that's important. And if it's not, it should be important to you. And if it's not important today, especially if you're young in the Lord, you might not know this. But when you get older in the Lord, you'll know that's actually really important. That we're using your money wisely, not mine. It's not noble what we're doing. It's our money. It's, I'm just being a steward and helping to point it in the right direction. Wasn't on the list. By the way, here's what they did a research a poll just about six months ago from Pew. And here's what they said. Here's why you want to go to it, like what makes you choose a church. Uh, if, no one's at, if you're answering the question and nobody knows who you are, this is what you say. You say 83% of you said that it was all about the sermon. Um, they say, and it, which, by the way, this was really trumpeted as good news because it means that all the, the sound, the lights, whatever. What they really wanted was a sermon that connected and made sense of the Bible that could look at Nehemiah and try to make it make sense for me today. That's actually not a bad thing, unless you're the preacher, and then you're like, like what that really says is preacher don't suck. Like, that's what it's really saying. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, a little bit of pressure on me. But th they say 83% of us, that, that's what we would say. We're looking for it. And if you're visiting right now, I have had better ones, just so you know. <laughs> give, me another, give me another try. <laughs> they said that, and this was really interesting to me, by the way, 79% said that being welcomed by leaders was very important. 
Like that was, that was just really fascinating to me. And then the other side, you know, I've been in that position where I've been trying to, is this where God wants me? Is this, you know, and I'm like, you walk in and you feel invisible and you walk out and you feel invisible. You know, that's, that's not a bad thing. None of these are bad things. Unless they're asking the wrong question. Unless the question isn't a church that and instead should be a church who. Because the church isn't a what. We are a who. And when it's a that, then I'm thinking about, like, am I going to join Prairie Life Fitness or am I going to do Franklin Athletic Club or am I going to do the why because it's cheaper and expects less of me? I won't feel quite as bad when I, I didn't spend as much money. But if it's about that, then, again, there are times when we are seeking, I, I think for the most part, we're seeking God's will for where he wants to assign us. When we were a young baby church, there were some families here that were part of setting up the trailer and tearing down every week, also known as the eighth level of hell. <laughs> Dante just didn't know. <laughs> like, there wasn't seven, there's an eighth one, and it was that trailer out back of the high school. But once we, when God gave us this building and this property and we moved in, there were those who felt like, ah, I'm feeling kind of unsettled here. A lot of times unsettled just means God is calling you to be someplace else. So to the families that were part of that and they loved hell, they're with, uh, is it Christ Chapel that meets in the theater down in? Yeah, two families, Adam and Stephanie Light. Man, we love them. And they love being a part of the action and the thing. And they, once we were in here, they, they felt like, man, God's calling us on. And so we could say, man, we bless you and send you. When Nehemiah is building this wall, there were different sections of the wall and different people assigned to different sections. Up the road is a church called Gateway, Charlie Weir. That's a different section of the wall. And God is doing amazing things at Gateway Church. The other side of town, the bridge guy named Josh Howerton. I hope I can grow up and be like him when I'm 30. I mean, when I'm 30 years old, I'm making, I'm selling music, okay? Like that was, like we're making rock and roll. That was my job. And he's down there leading a church of 2,000 people. I'm like, that's pretty darn cool. So when I'm 30 someday, I'm going to be like Josh. But God is doing amazing things there. There was a family here recently that had been kind of kicking the tires here, and they felt a little overwhelmed. Of course, they, if you feel overwhelmed by mission, don't come here in July, parenthetically. <laughs> like we're throwing it at you, right? It's like, like the cold bucket water challenge with mission. Like we're just dumping it on you. But they were young, and they felt like they needed some time to think through some things, and so they end up at the bridge. Man, I celebrate that with them. Because God is doing amazing things at lots of churches in town. Amazing things, and we just are one part of the wall. And my prayer for us this morning is not that you would go to a church that, but you would be considering a church who. And the question isn't what would you want in a church, but what would Jesus want in a church? We don't have to ask, because he said... Ephesians 5, he says he's coming back, not church shopping, he's coming back for the church, and for that church, it's going to be a glorious church. Ephesians, I can't see it, actually go around, Ephesians 5, a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any 
other blemish. That's what he's looking for, a glorious church. I got great news for you. The moment you step into a relationship with Jesus, the moment you accept him as your Lord and your Savior, Savior, he literally makes you new inside. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian and Jesus dwells the Holy Spirit inside of you, you are already clothed in righteousness, glorious, radiant, and he is coming back for you. And the question I have, if that's who we are, a radiant and a glorious church, then how would we act in this part of the wall for conduit? What is the expression of Jesus in this part of the wall? What are we rising up to build? And you look at this passage here in Nehemiah, first thing he built was the wall. A lot of political controversy in walls these days in our country, but in the rest of the world, it's actually not controversial. First thing you build in Haiti when you're building a structure is you put a wall around it to protect it. And for my brothers and sisters and friends who have lived there and who have been robbed in the middle of the night, they'll tell you why. They built a wall of protection. And for us brothers and sisters... You who are older in the faith, there's a reason we need you to set a watch around the wall of who we are because there's lots of crazy ideas that can float in here. Phil, you've known Jesus a very long time. You've seen a lot. There's not a lot of surprises left. We need guys like Phil on the wall Tony and Lynn have been around. They, they, they know the stuff. There's nothing new under the sun. We need watchmen around the wall. Mark and, and Melissa have been a part of planting other churches. They've helped to caution me in things like, oh, that's something we need to. Which parenthetically is why we have an elder board. Seven men. David Holderman pastored a church for 18 years in Michigan. You think he doesn't know some stuff I don't know? I'm not smart enough. Surrounding us with a wall of protection of brothers and sisters who know, have been there, who are seasoned. They built a wall first of, of structure and of protection. And you know what? The thing of that is, and we see it in our society, that once you start building that wall and the church is up, you're going to face opposition. We face it in the media. We face it on Facebook. We face it because Mark Zuckerberg thinks, quite frankly, the reason he needs to start a church is you're crazy. A lot of friends in uh, the West Coast in my former life that born and raised outside of any sort of church setting and, and worked in the media, entertainment industries in West, you know, left and West Coast, and John, you probably know some of these too, but they think you're nuts. They're flying over you on purpose. They just didn't understand. They're not the enemy, right? They just don't know. But you're going to get opposition. And he, there were three that they list here, Sanballat, you know, they, they list them out, and we don't have time to go into what they mean. But one of their names actually means God is good. Sometimes the opposition comes from those who also think God is good, and they've got a whole other agenda. The opposition 
isn't an interruption of our work. It's part of it. Fact, if we're not building the kingdom of God, one of the ways to know it is if we are not being opposed. You've heard me share this before, but World War II pilots flying over, especially the European theater, didn't have the ability like we have to track stuff. The only way they knew they were hitting the right targets is if they were being shot at. If they were dropping bombs and nobody was shooting at them, they knew they were flying over somebody's farm that didn't matter. But when there's a hail of gunfire hitting at us, when we've got people down and sick and things happening, we know that we are flying over the right targets because, of course, the enemy is not going to let us do that. doesn't want us to anyway. Built a wall, opposition. And where is it built? Verse 18, I told them of the hand of my God had been upon me and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And he said, let's rise up and build. Where it was built was where it was started, meaning the kingdom of God is being built on the foundation of Jesus. They didn't build the kingdom of God in Babylon. They went to Jerusalem because that's where the kingdom of God had been started. There was a foundation already there. And where do we build our church? Jesus told us, Matthew 6 and verse 18, on this rock I will plant my church. Jesus. The wise man builds his house where? On the rock. On the rock of Jesus. Is conduit a Baptist church? Are we an Assembly of God church? Are we a Pentecostal church? Just give me the box that says Jesus church and let me check that one because that's what I want to be, a Jesus church. And I understand names and I don't really have a problem with denominations. I do. At this part of my life, I just want to hold on to, stand on top of the rock of who Jesus Christ is and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. You just won't. So it's built on the foundation before, and this is the part that just gets me so excited because what was it built with? You see this passage, you're like, well, what were they doing? They didn't really talk about it, but two chapters later, chapter 4, our friends, the opposition, ride by again, making fun of them while they're building the walls, and it says, can you bring back the stones to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? They were using the stones that had been burned by Babylon. If you have been burned by the church, you are perfect material to be built into the kingdom of God. And here's the thing. All of us have been burned because we live in a fallen world. And so your burn might be from the church. I would suggest to you that the burn was actually from Babylon. It was from Babylonian ideas infiltrating a church. So it wasn't Jesus that burned you, it was Babylon that burned you. The, the world that you're in, you might have been rejected by a spouse and there's hurt or there's, there's just the rubble of your life. And Jesus, where everybody else drove by and saw nothing but a trash heap, he saw burned stones and said, bring them together and use those. The answer, shall I use these burned stones to build a church? Absolutely. He wants to take the burn part of your life and put it together side by side with my burn part and your burn part because here's the thing. The temple of the Holy Spirit is not me, it's us. 
1 Peter 2.15 says that we, coming together as living stones, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The reason, there, there's just no lone rangers in Christianity. There is no, you're a burned stone on the, on the heap, and I'm inviting you into the body of Christ to say, come back into, a, whether it's ours or, or Charlie or Darren Whitehead at Church of the City. I mean, he's Australian. Who doesn't love Australians? Christians love Australians, right? They're doing great things there. And that part of the wall, I just, what I know is that there are holes in the wall right now and they are, maybe some of you could fill holes in the walls of this section at Conduit. But building a church is not building an entity, it's building you. Like when we go on a mission trip, that's not an interruption of your building process. It is your building process. When you're working in the nursery or volunteering and, you know, Kathy makes these meals, which by the way, glory to Jesus for that. You talk about a glorious church. It starts in her kitchen. Makes these amazing meals because she's literally part of the, the holes in the walls of conduit that build up the kingdom of God here. And, and what we are ultimately doing, my prayer is that as you and I allow the Savior to pick up your burnstone, to polish you off, to smooth the wrinkles, to chip the painful parts off. Which parenthetically, by the way, sometimes we leave a church because we're just mad because somebody was mean to us. Sometimes, I don't know if you've been there, I live in a neighborhood that's being built right now. And let me tell you what happens in a neighborhood that's being built. It's loud. It's messy. There's a lot of hammering and chipping and cutting there are times that I have hear things that have hurt, like, really, that kind of hurt my feelings, that email, that was kind of harsh. And realizing, oh, but building is not a joyful process all the time. It can be painful. When you put together a brick building, there's friction. It just is. A church without spot or wrinkle. I had to iron this shirt this morning. You're welcome, Shannon. Uh, not, not because she should have wrinkled, but just because I don't want to be in public looking like I was about to look. Uh, I'm very capable of ironing my own clothes. I just, sometimes I just look at it and think, it's good enough. <laughs> it's close enough. Ironing out sometimes is kind of painful. And God wants to iron us out into that. Let me put it a different way. What does a glorious church really mean? One of the greatest ways for a creator to receive glory we sang this morning, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever. We're singing glory to God. But what does that mean exactly? The greatest way to bring glory to a creator is for its creation to live the way it was intended to be. I have this thing called an iPhone. It's a hardware and there's an operating system on here. I am making text messages to my wife from the African bush country from this thing, okay? I have videos on here of my children. This week when I do my mileage report, it's all there. It's, this thing single-handedly saved my relationship with our bookkeeper because I can take pictures of my receipts and it organizes them all. And, it, and when I talk about how awesome this little piece of technology is, that brings glory to the creator who parenthetically is no longer with us because he is a human. But this one, I'm, this is amazing. Ultimately, it brings glory to the creator. When we use our hardware system and our operating system 
to create and do amazing things for the world on this side of heaven, it brings glory to God. That's what Jesus said when he said, would you hide your light under a bushel? Let your light shine so that they might see your good works and glorify him. In the village last week, when we, sh- when were we there? Two, two weeks ago, and there's a well there. They're not out there singing the praises of a big white guy, Mazungu from America. They're singing to Jesus, glorifying him. I 100% believe that in this room, that there are those of you who have God-sized ideas, creative abilities to address problems that the world is throwing at us, and there is no better solution than a group of Jesus people coming together and saying, the opioid epidemic, while they're wringing their hands in Washington, meanwhile, in Columbia, Tennessee, there are 30 to 35 people on any given basis whose lives are being set free from an opioid epidemic. Glory be to God. There are children in our system in America right now because their parents are broken or there are things that are wrong and they're stuck in a system and there are brothers and sisters in our church who have opened up your homes to be a safe family, a safe place for them. Glory be to God. You can look around the world and there are problems and there are challenges and we can put our head in the sand and pretend it's not happening, or we can come together bathed in prayer, dreaming and praying and thinking and and bringing glory to God by doing things this side of heaven. And I'm telling you, you may not see it on the news, but I've seen it all over the world, and it's happening right here in Middle Tennessee, whether you see it or not. I just want Conduit to be a part of that. Travis, what you guys do, setting people free from debt, is one of the greatest secrets in America... You know how many missionaries, young people I've talked to that said, man, I really want to go on the mission field, but I got $70,000 in student loans. I got to fight. I got to get freedom from it. What if you didn't ever have $70,000 in student loans and you could go into the world without having that? Glory be to God, you guys are setting people free with an idea that somebody had and a church came around, a church of brothers and sisters that are setting people free. I mean, Becca, what you guys do every month, week after month after year with those kids back there, bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, giving other people a part to speak out what God has put inside of them, teaching and investing in our children. Because let me tell you, we were just talking about this, Robin Kimberly. You know who wants to mentor your children? YouTube. There are 17-year-old kids out there with 20 million followers telling your kids what's right and wrong. We need a watchman on the wall around our children and you guys to be part of that, the living stones coming together and we're going to end with this because Jesus said he was the cornerstone, 1 Peter 2, 15. He holds it all together. If we pull Jesus out of this, that's why Zuckerberg's plan will never work. Jesus isn't in it. We pull Jesus out of it, the whole thing falls apart. We build it on Jesus. And one day, let me tell you, there were 400 prophecies in the Old Testament that said he was coming and he did. Do you think he's going to break this promise? He's coming back for a radiant and a glorious church. And my prayer is that conduit, our part of the wall, stands against the opposition, is built on the word of God. He said, I'm building because God's word, God told me to do it. We're built on the word of God. We're built on the foundation of Jesus, the word made flesh. I mean, you guys, Justin and Sarah working in 
bringing home a baby from another country. You are bringing glory to God by your good works and that. I should shut up because I could go around the whole room to see all these living stones and know that what we're doing, we say rise up and build. The world wants us to shrink back and I'm saying not on my watch. We will rise up not to take over the government, not to stick it to the man. We're going to rise up because Jesus says, if I be lifted up, that I will draw all men unto me. This he spoke of the way in which he was to die. So when we sing, lift him higher, higher, that's what we're singing is about the cross because it was finished. And from that rubble of this fallen world, he's taking your stone and my stone and wants to build it together into this beautiful kingdom of God that he will return for someday, spotless and without wrinkle, Conduit isn't a name, it's just a description. That's who we are. We're conduit people, Jesus people. Spirit in, spirit out. Let's pray. Jesus, would you give us insight today for this? That upon this rock, your name, your work, on the rock of Jesus the Messiah, the cornerstone, Lord, I pray that we will come together as living stones. We're all burnt stones. <laughs> Some of us may not know it, but we are. And you've said that's the fire that made you stronger. You're putting us on that wall. Thank you for that. Lord, might we be a glorious church. Not based on what we do, but based on who you are. Thank you so much, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.